We spend tons of time talking about the influence of screens and social media here at Plugged In, but there is another medium of entertainment that continues to exercise enormous influence over the lives of adolescents today, and we're going to talk about that today. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. You know, the format may have changed over the decades from records to cassettes to CDs, or maybe a few people in there had eight tracks for about 10 seconds in 1977, to streaming online. But no matter how it's consumed, music continues to shape the hearts and minds of young fans today in the same way that it has really for generations. As Christians, we may be tempted to think that as long as our kids are listening to Christian artists, we've perhaps dodged the bullet here. In some ways, I think that's really true. In other ways, the conversation about music, specifically whether we should be avoiding what we sometimes call secular music, is perhaps more complex. So today I'm joined by Paul A.C., Kristen Smith, and Jonathan McKee, and we'll be talking about this important formative influence in the lives of so many tweens and teens today. In our second segment, Paul A.C. and I will be unpacking everything you need to know about the new Disney Plus Star Wars show, The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, and I know that Paul and I will have to cram about an hour's worth of observations uh, um, about uh, one of the coolest Star Wars characters and one of the most nefarious into about 10 minutes or so. Good so you'll, luck. you'll want to see how we do that. I know that Kristen <laughs> is just dying to chime in on that conversation. <laughs> I'm concerned for the listeners, but go ahead. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about music, both Christian and mainstream, and the ways it affects us when we're young. I thought it would be fun to talk about our own musical past just a bit to kick off this conversation. So when I was growing up back, you know, the little Stone Age wheels that were turning and think Flintstones and you're in the right neighborhood, my dad listened to a lot of the Beach Boys and Neil Diamond. And I still have a very soft spot in my heart for both of them. I won't sing Sweet Caroline or, you know, anything from the Beach Boys just right now, even though I'm tempted, I'm tempted to just break it out. But there comes a point where we begin to want to have our own music as kids, where we want to differentiate from our parents. Um, and so... I remember going to the store, and I'm answering my own question, by the way, and then I'm going to ask you guys the same thing. Exactly. So, no, we, I we love it. it. I, our, us. I know. I have our icebreaker backwards. Today. I went to the store, <laughs> and I'd been listening to the radio, and I remember looking at the music display, and it was either going to be Def Leppard Pyromania or Culture oh, yeah. Club's Color by Numbers, which had Karma Camellia. Suffice it to say, though they were both from England-ish, more or less, these are really different bands. Very and different. I went yeah. with Def Leppard and the die was cast from then <laughs> on. I sometimes wonder like so much sense. In uh, like the choose your own adventure version of my life, what would have happened if I had picked, you know, Culture Club <laughs> at that point? It would have been like a movie where you go really you been. go through the different sliding doors oh, and stuff. I want I would see that movie. Uh, right. Um so that was the choice I make. So that brings me, that, that's all the lead up to my question, which I have now answered. What about you? What was the first music you remember buying that was really your own choice and your own expression of your personality? 
Kristen's pointing at Paul and Paul's making a face. So we'll, we will go with Paul. I'm yeah, narrating definitely, for, the, definitely. for those listening at home. Paul, what do you got for All us? All right. So first off, Adam, I have to say that my mom listened to Neil Diamond incessantly. I know every Neil Diamond song there is. But when it came time to... Did you have the jazz singer soundtrack? <laughs> you know what? I don't think we did. Okay. We'll talk about that later. All right. We'll have to that's, do that. That's something for another podcast that's another a, time. That's an off-podcast conversation. Right. Um, so the first album that I actually bought myself, this will really say a lot more about me than I want it to. <laughs> that's the point. I'm of really question. excited. Ooh. Go ahead. <laughs> the Star Wars soundtrack. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> I did you not. When I read this script, I was like, I swear if he says something about Star Wars in I this podcast. I kid you not. When I was, I was like seven years old, oh my goodness. I had saved up all my money to buy the Star Wars soundtrack. I thought I knew how much it was, but being seven years old, I didn't know about tax. Right, so tax. I threw the money down. It's a tough lesson for a kid. And they said, it's not enough money. And this, and this, I think it was the clerk's girlfriend said, oh, he's so cute. Give it to him. Oh. And so I got my Star Wars album. I still have it to this day. This is really, really interesting. Uh, you really That's have awesome. it? I really do. Yeah. That Wow. Yeah. Paul's a little bit of a hoarder. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> or he's just organized. I don't think we well, have to put such a pejorative you. term I on mean. it. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> I don't have my Empire Strikes Back soundtrack. Kristen, what about you? Okay. So I think my first, like, the CD that I bought for myself was either the Frey or John Mayer. And I can't remember because I don't know. I mean, it was, I don't know. I liked both so much that I think going to the concert was more of like an awakening for me because I went to John Mayer's concert shortly thereafter. So it but, wasn't like a splitting like Adam's story was. No. Because you still like both of them. Right? Yeah. 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 I listened to all of them so much. I mean, and the Frey's kind of depressing. They're a little like totally. slow. So, you know, I'm up in my room, painting my bedroom, listening to this extremely depressed, like getting all into my feelings. Painting like, your room really, black. Feel yeah. Like, yeah. Really feel feels. like an artist. <laughs> yeah. It was great. That's awesome. Jonathan, That's what funny. about you? Well, in the same way, Kristen, that you said that you knew Paul was going to somehow mention Star Wars, uh, I knew you were going to somehow mention John uh, Mayer. Uh, that's so, true. It's true. I mean, when I even read it, I thought, Kristen's going to say John Mayer. I'm sorry. So. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. So much love well, here. I, I love the support. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm kind of divided because I've had a couple of these moments in my life, and, and the one I won't talk about uh, <laughs> is, is is the one later the, later in high school. Jonathan, you're talking about it. Influenced me big time. Uh, yeah, and I'll just give you a hint. The other day through the Atlanta airport, I was wearing my Run DMC shirt. So uh, oh. Uh, oh, it, it, it still fun. it still has some influence from the '80s there. Uh, but no, I'm going to talk about actually a really um, honestly a very nostalgic time in my life, and I think I've mentioned it before in this podcast because we were talking about music and the influence um i had a cassette of steve taylor the christian artist nice. his album meltdown and i would listen to it with a cassette Kristen. you had to choose which side okay. and so you'd be like side I one or side two okay okay she's all one i had one of those that yeah, i stole it was from Stephen my dad Curtis chapman i remember having it that's the great right. adventure that's right. i don't know exactly it was probably <laughs> saddle up your horses uh -huh. so anyway uh <laughs> the uh, but I chose side two of Meltdown, and I would listen to that every night as I went to bed, uh, middle school. And it was like there was something really cool. Um, and honestly, for my faith, it was a time in my life where listening to Christian music, and I went to sleep to Christian music. I had these little like kind of it, this was pre you know 
ear pods or anything like that. It was mostly Walkmans back then, only had these kind of more clunky headphones. But my friend had these one, like you'd never see him because he was a runner. He had these ones that actually went in your ear and they were very oh. uncommon at the time. And I had one, I'd stick it in the ear that was like kind of on the pillow and it was actually comfortable. And I'd go to sleep, <laughs> listen to Steve Taylor. And still this day, and I, I followed him for a while. He was doing some Christian movie stuff. And I, I literally wonder where the guy is because I was such a fan I wrote him like a physical letter. He wrote me back letters. Um, wow. And uh, he was a good guy. And, and he spoke really to some interesting issues in the church. And, and for me, it was a really, uh, it was a cool thing for my faith. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great segue because growing up in the late 80s, there was this moment where there was sort of, I, I may exaggerate a little bit, but there was kind of a moral panic about the influence of the worst music of the time. We had Tipper Gore mm-hmm. came out and, you know, did the yeah, thing with yeah. Congress to get warning labels on stuff. In about 1988 or so, and I was a senior in high school, I wasn't really walking with Jesus at that point, but I ended up at this conference at my church called Hell's Bells. Anybody remember <laughs> Hell's Bells? Hell's Bells was like pretty much every possible iteration of how Satan was involved with secular music. I mean, it was really a scared straight kind of thing. It dealt with backmasking. It dealt with, you know, ACDC and the Night Stalker. I mean, I can go down the list of all of the music controversies in the 80s. Of course, I was listening to like half of that stuff. Well, it had sort of a, there was a delayed effect for me. And I went to college and really at that point, um, had an encounter with Jesus that that transformed my life. And one day I'm like, I can't listen to secular music anymore. And I literally like disemboweled, uh, metaphorically speaking, 200 cassette tapes. And my best friend is watching me with this look of abject horror on his face. Like, so you, you pulled the tape yeah, out of the cassette. Uh, yeah. Did, like, oh my you, goodness. You didn't do a bonfire? No, I didn't do a bonfire. But my best friend, who <laughs> I had been all the way through school with from fifth grade on, he literally thought I was losing my mind. And about, <laughs> about 10 cassette tapes in, he's like, Dude, if you're just going to wreck these, can you can just can you just give them to yeah, me? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. No, Joe, Jesus doesn't want me listening to them. Or you. And he doesn't want you to listen to this garbage either. Um, and I share this because I went through a period of probably about three years where I listened exclusively to Christian music. And then some of that old stuff started to creep back in. Um, and I would say I'm now at a point where... I evaluate things more on individual lyrics and songs and their influence on me than whether they're Christian or secular or not. But mm-hmm. here's my my question to sort of launch us into the meat of this conversation, even though we've been going for a while now. <laughs> um, Kristen, you're a little bit younger than us, as we have already joked about today. Was this idea of, you know, good Christian kids don't listen to secular music, something that was still around when you were growing up and more broadly for all of us, how did your parents shape the musical choices you made? So Mm. I think that um, it depends on what circle you ran in, if that makes any sense. Like I was homeschooled up until seventh grade until I was like, enough of this. I'm going to make friends. Um, (laughs) I could just see little Kristen marching off to junior high with her mom crying in the background. I was done. I was done. No, I remember growing up, my parents did. um, We only really listened to Christian music, actually. We're only allowed to. But I do remember, and I've talked about this before as we've like spoken about music, getting in the car for soccer practice with 
with some of my best friends. And, you know, before any parents were in there, her older sister would jump in the front and turn it to a station that we weren't allowed to listen to. And we would get like a few seconds of like Nelly or something that, you know, we had no idea what was happening. Um, And then, of course, we'd turn it back and everything was fine. Um, it's but, always Nelly, isn't it? It was always it Nelly. It always comes back to Nelly. <laughs> For me, it was it was R and B and rap. But um, yeah, I think as I, as far as my parents were concerned, as I got older, the conversation really turned more toward like you were saying, Adam. Like, what are the lyrics saying? Um, what's going on here? And I really actually appreciate my parents kind of let us have some independence as far as music was concerned. And of course, like my mom and dad were listening, at least it seemed like it to what was being said. Um, so there were some things that I would try to listen to and they're like, shut that garbage off. Like not in my house. Um, <laughs> like but, straight out of a Twisted Sister video. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of, I think the musical influence of like Christian versus secular was when I did go to public school, you know, I joined track and I did all the sports and those kids listened to whatever they listened to. Right. And of course I listened then to what was there. Um, but as time went on, I really did grasp an understanding of what was being said versus Christian versus secular. I don't know if it was as dramatic as what you were saying, like yeah. so polarizing. Yeah. Jonathan, Paul, what are your thoughts on how your parents played a role and whether that influenced your choices with regard to what you listened to or not? You know, from my perspective, since I was just listening to the Star Wars soundtrack, that really wasn't a huge... <laughs> there wasn't any backmasking like, with Satan talking in the background. But, but even when I got into, I think, more traditional, secular rock and roll music, right, I don't think my parents really paid that much attention. Okay. Um, I was lucky to grow up in an age, I think, where Christian music was really starting to make inroads into the secular world. You know, the, the Amy Grants, the Michael W. Smiths of the world, you know, you, you, even a little bit later, you had you had DC Talk and whatnot. Right. So you had Whiteheart. some... Shout out to Whiteheart if they're listening <laughs> today. <laughs> but I, I think that, that I actually found myself gravitating to Christian music in a way that maybe a lot of a lot of other kids did not because I I really resonated with the messages okay. and the music was still I thought really good you know that's one thing about Christian music is, is I think that it, it it is very strong. When you look at other realms in, in the entertainment world, you can make an argument that sometimes the Christian world has some catching up to do. Um, in, Christian music, I think, is is was and is still pretty strong. Okay. That's Jonathan, what about you? Um, it's funny. As you said, Whiteheart, Adam, I couldn't help but have some flashbacks of those days. And the other day, I actually was like, I wonder if, and I jumped on Spotify, yeah, and, and I found Petra's More Power To You, oh, yeah. and, and, lis- and started listening <laughs> oh, to it. That's and I had so not great. listened to it in probably 30 years. And yeah. it was like, I told my wife, I'm like, listen to this one, listen to this one. <laughs> Just like Judas Kiss. I mean, it was like, I was, uh, it was, I mean, it was so flash. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry. Little, little, little segue there. But yeah, no, I had some good Christian moments back then. You know, I, I think, I mean, honestly, I think my parents had such good intentions. It was hard. My dad was a pastor at the time, and I think he felt a lot of pressure because he felt like whatever he did, he would constantly hear other people in the congregation say, 
well, my kid said that you allowed uh. this. And so he kind of felt like whatever he said, it was so. So he felt a lot of pressure. So we kind of saw it a little bit as unfair because from my brother and I's perspective, you know, he had Neil Diamond, John Denver and the Beach Boys. But when we asked if we could listen to Journey, he's like, no, it's secular, you know, and we're like, what? You know, that doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. So uh, and, you know, Journey full of filth. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't like today's music. I mean, today's music, I mean, there was kind of a, a dividing line back in the 80s. You kind of knew when you were buying that album that like, you know, crossed the line, you know, right. um, but there was a lot of clean secular stuff. So it is interesting how much that uh, for me, as I was raising my kids, I definitely, you know, was like, hey, it's going to be more on content. But the problem, and I've shared this on this podcast before, the problem of what I did is I, I was because isn't it funny how I said, because my dad was a pastor, I didn't even see that the very thing that I think affected him and his decision-making affected me because Mm -hmm. me as a guy who was out talking to parents about this and the dangers of music, I let that kind of corrupt my own parenting, I think. And I became so focused on watch out for these lies that I just wasn't as focused on the truth. And I've said it so many times on this podcast where I wish I could go back in time and spend more time just focusing on the truth of God's word and just loving on my kids and being there instead of being like, let's look at those lyrics and see what they say. And my kids rolling their eyes and going, oh my gosh, dad, give it a rest with all this. That's you good, know, and, 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 and that's where it got to that point. And I, I wish I could do that over. Well, and how do you think that we can help our kids or steer our kids toward redemptive choices without it being legalistic? Like, Because I think that's the kind of balance you're talking about, Jonathan, what does it look like for us to do that? And Jonathan, maybe you've already started that. You've already begun to answer my question by saying it's about relationship, not just necessarily rules. But what else do we have to say with regard to that uh, in terms of our kids' music choices? You know, I think that a lot of it is, again, just to echo what Jonathan said, it really is about relationship. But I think it's also about knowledge, Mm. where I think not only knowledge that you know, we as plugged in can bring to the table, but knowledge of your kids and what your kids are very interested in, what resonates with them, what speaks to them. I think that it's important to understand kind of not only the messages that they are ingesting in terms of their music, but why they're ingesting them. And I think that that gives you a better platform to have some really good, healthy conversations. I kind of see, I agree with all this. I, I'm sort of seeing this from the depression lens, the mental health lens that has really taken over. I mean, I would say the world, but um, as far as kids are concerned, like I have, I have people that are close to me that really struggle with depression, that really struggle with anxiety. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of conversations about um, just listening through it and then asking well, what do you do in a day? Like, can we talk about like what your day looks like? And it Hmm. always inevitably will lead to music in Hmm. some respect. And it makes sense because if you think about any kind of like, not to get like weird or creepy, but like any kind of like hypnotic or hypnosis, right? Like it's a repetition, right? Yeah. And music can work in the same way. And so I think it's really important to ask yourself, like, how does this make you feel? And maybe we Mm. can go from there. And even our kids, like, oh, you feel sad? Well, maybe we could talk about, and it might not always be what you're listening to, but maybe we could talk about it. Because I know for me, specifically, like through college and post-college and stuff, uh, there is this natural 
urge inside of me, like if I'm sad or I feel a certain way, to want to listen to a song that emphasizes that feeling. Right. We want to just sort of marinate in that We do. We do. And I think there's a time and place for that. Um, But man, it could be really unhealthy because it's just letting you rest in a feeling where we're not meant to do that. Like we need to have, and it takes away logic. You know, you get into an emotional part of your brain and you're just so disconnected from logic Mm -hmm. that it's difficult because you want to feel everything. And that's even more true of a teenager because that's all you do is rest in your emotions. Everything is emotional. And so if I had any advice, it would just be to have conversations about how do you feel? Maybe we can link that back to what you're listening to and give you an alternative that could help you. Well, and that's what's so interesting about the newest research, because the newest research is showing that when it comes to social media, that, you know, because of course, all these experts are sitting there saying, well, why is depression higher and this and that? Mm. And it's funny how nothing pointed to music. And I'm not saying that this isn't true. But think about something like TikTok. TikTok is the number one platform right now that young people enjoy. TikTok started as basically lip syncing lyrics. And it's funny because TikTok is the car that Kristen was sitting in with the older sister switching the station. You know, TikTok is the place where they're hearing the music and where they're kind of getting the ideas. And there's visuals to it. And they're like, maybe if I dress like this, maybe if I act like this, maybe if I do this. And again, it's not so we can all point to the evil and start saying Satan's in TikTok and, you know, and ban it and smash phones like Adam did his And he's tapes. dancing, probably. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just a matter of kind of taking notice what these influences are. So I think the, the proactive steps I would tell parents to take is what we've all talked about here is having these conversations with our kids talk about their feelings, being noticing, Kristen said, noticing what kids are feeling a little bit. If you notice, you know, a lot of us, sometimes we let our kids slip up to their rooms and they have their private lives up in their bedrooms and they have their screens in their bedrooms all night long. It's not a good idea. It would be good for us. And here's where it's kind of a a mix between bonding and boundaries here. On one hand, we should have the boundary that we don't have screens up in the bedroom. But on the other hand, we should be connecting with our kids. And I tell you, in the years of youth ministry, I remember kids that were in terrible home situations, but they would come and they would be part of something positive that we were doing. And we would hang out with them and talk with them and take them camping and hiking and doing all this stuff. And it was amazing how much that good, that saturation of truth influenced those dark moments they had where they were by themselves. And it even influenced what sources they were going to in those alone moments. And that's why I'm always such a big advocate of focus on saturating them with, you know, the positive and the truth. So but yeah, good. no, as a parent, I would definitely yank devices out of the bedroom. Man, this has just been such a terrific conversation. And I feel like there's more that we could say. But I think if you've been listening, you can see that music remains an incredibly important influence in the lives of our kids. Even as we spend a lot of time talking about newer technologies and new forms of entertainment, that music is going in. It's going in through TikTok. It's going in through AirPods. And they're listening to things over and over and over again. And so regardless of where you are at or your kids are at in their musical journey, I think it behooves us as parents to be engaged, to be aware, to be setting boundaries, to be having conversations, and to be teaching our kids to pay attention to how music is influencing them emotionally and how they're using music, maybe even to manage their emotions. So Great stuff today, guys. Thank you for a terrific conversation about Christian music, secular music, and how music continues to be such a formative force in the lives of kids today. I am Boba Fett. 
left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. Well, it's time for our second segment, and uh, we are going to be talking about a character close to my heart, personally. <laughs> his name is Boba, and his last name is Fett. And if only when I was seven I had had the foresight to go to Target and buy the action figure that had the rocket that shot the missile. Um, well, I wouldn't be here. I'd be retired. That's exactly right. Uh, but I digress. Paul, the book of Boba Fett, new on Disney+. Plus. Let's start uh, not for the Star Wars super fans, but for those who may not know who Boba Fett is. Kristen, I'm looking right at you. Uh, <laughs> do, you do you know who Boba Fett is? Yes. Okay. I have Chris. a husband who makes me watch this stuff, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, sounds like some counseling might be in order on that. Um, Paul, what's the book of Boba Fett about, and, and who is this Boba Fett guy? What do we need to know? So Boba Fett is an infamous bounty hunter, or used to be an infamous They're bounty hunter. They're always infamous, aren't yeah, they? Very, very infamous. <laughs> it was actually the best thing to come out of the Star Wars Christmas special. He oh, sort of man. got his start there um you saw him in um empire strikes back you saw him in return of the jedi he was the guy who froze han solo in carbonite yeah he's so Um, mean he's just so mean and then the last time we saw him in return of the jedi he's in the middle of a sarlacc stomach and what does that mean so a sarlacc is this creature that lives (laughs) on the planet of tatooine has this gaping maw of a mouth. No one needs I don't this. know how he no, they feeds do need himself. It. It's you know, incredibly important. I so just important. don't understand how yeah. these creatures can get fed enough. Who but knows? but um, anyway, the, the Sarlacc pit is right there. A bunch of bad people fall in during this climactic battle, including Boba Fett. And we are... Wait, wait. Is this on The Mandalorian? No. No. Oh, man. Oh, there was my. like this scene where they a bunch of people fell into this weird, I don't know, cat, dinosaur, under... Beneath the earth looking creature. I'm done. Sorry. I don't. I, that's all I, got. I, I really that. appreciate we let, your participation. We let her walk good. into that. We're like, finish the thought, I'm Kristen. Done. We want to hear this ludicrousness. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. theoretically, at the end of Return of the Jedi, we were supposed to. Boba Fett's fate was decided. He was right. going to die there and being digest digested for a thousand, thousand years. years. Exactly. Yeah. Nerd off. But no, to, <laughs> but but Boba Fett, he's a little more resilient than that. That's he wakes right. up in the Sarlacc pit. He crashes through the Sarlacc stomach, crawls out into the sand, and the show actually takes place in two different timelines. We see sort of right after he got out of the Sarlacc, where post Sarlacc, we see him oh making gosh. friends with. I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, well, you it's, had to retcon it because he was dead. So you can't do a show about a guy who's dead without explaining how he came back to life. So they literally continue the story from the pit of this thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. That is so awesome. I did not know that. That is exactly right. Now now I'm going to watch it. Kristen is not (laughs) impressed, but she's already seen it. He runs into some Tusken Raiders, which are some people who live on Tatooine. We won't get to. And they wear scary masks. (laughs) Uh, 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 (laughs) We we jump into the future where we see that Boba Fett is actually ruling... To get a little more deep into the weeds, Jabba the Hutt's crime empire. Jabba the Hutt was the guy who Boba Fett was hired by to bring in Han Solo. Exactly. Very good, Jonathan. Jonathan. That was great. I think you have another career ahead of you. So somehow, (laughs) somehow, Boba Fett takes over this crime empire. We don't exactly know how yet, but. He is definitely being pushed on all sides by people who want a piece of that empire. Well, and, and here's the thing that I think is interesting. Boba Fett is an unalloyed black and white 
bad guy in the original Star Wars movies. There's no, like, is Boba Fett on the hero's journey on the path to redemption? No. He's the guy who froze Han Solo, okay? He's the bad guy. He's got a raspy voice, and we're glad when he dies, except he's kind of cool, but other than that. But in this (laughs) show, you get the sense that as he's marinating, there's that word again, in the Sarlacc's tummy, he sort of has... Maybe this is my interpretation. Yeah. Almost some sort of a salvific, not in the Jesus sense, but he has a come to his senses moment that maybe mm. he's been a bad guy and maybe he wants to be a better guy. And one of the things he says after he crawls out is Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. And that's interesting. It, it is interesting. I think you're probably, from my perspective... Giving too much credit. Might be giving too much credit. I do Fair think enough. that the key is he was a bad guy, but he was so cool. Now so he's many trying people to be a better wanted, bad guy. Exactly. So I think this is sort of more of a retrofit. Okay. Like, but who knows? Who knows who how the knows? story might develop if it goes in the direction that you say it will? I think that would be a really encouraging uh, turn. Paul, from a plugged-in perspective, what kind of content can parents expect to find? So if you're familiar with Mandalorian, which ha, is another... He was in the Mandalorian. <laughs> and I remember him. Give me some credit. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Old dude. Good old job, dude. No, Kristen. I know exactly who he was. Good job. He shows up toward the end. You're yes. right. Yes. So if you're familiar with the Mandalorian, as clearly Kristen is, you know kind of what to expect from the Book of Boba Fett. It has quite a bit of violence. It's a little bit gross in places. You know, the, the Sarlacc stomach is not the prettiest place yeah, to be. you don't want to spend time there. There is a touch of foul language that you might have to navigate. Uh, but it's really of a piece of the Mandalorian. It's TV-14. It feels rougher than your typical Star Wars movie. Um, but it's not, when you count up all the content, it's really not that much harsher than what okay. you would find mm-hmm. there. So no seriously unpleasant surprises yet. And, not and, yet. And as we review TV, that's always one of the caveats that we have to give is we don't know when things might take a really wacky turn later in a show's run. But up to this point, that's where we're at. And I don't think that this show is going to like take a facepalm moment in terms of how parents respond to the content. Do you no, think, I Paul? don't think so. I th- when you're talking about the Star Wars universe, the gatekeepers for it want it to be pretty much status quo. They want it to be sort of this family-friendly property. Um, Mm -hmm. With the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is also part of the Disney world, um, that can be a little bit squishier. It seems to be getting a little bit harsher as time goes on. But Star Wars has been pretty reliable. All right. Well, hopefully that gives you everything you need to know, at least for the moment, with regard to the book of Boba Fett. Thank you, Paul, for bringing us up to speed on, uh, I think, pretty much the coolest armor in any science fiction show ever. No doubt. I just want to hear Jonathan do his Jabba the Hutt laugh again. Jonathan? (laughs) Sorry, you only get a Jonathan laugh. That's not it. You only get a Jonathan laugh this time. Okay. Well, now we come to a part of the show we like to call Culture Culture Countdown. Countdown. In this segment, we uh, each have a pretty difficult task, and that is 30 seconds to talk about a pop culture story uh, that has some kind of influence on families. It could be technology. It could be entertainment. We want to just bring you up to speed on something. But uh, as Paul knows, especially trying to do something in 30 seconds is pretty difficult, and that is part of the fun. So... Do I have any volunteers this morning to get us started out? Oh, Jonathan, I see that hand. I'm going to start with truly the best one. 
All right. Well, <laughs> truly the best one. Jonathan, objectivity. Um, the best one. We will be the judge of that. We will be the judge of that. All right. Are you ready, Jonathan? Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for this? Here we go. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. Okay. This week I'm going to do something different. I've got an article in front of me written by this amazing guy by the name of Adam Holse. Oh, that's my right. Goodness. <laughs> it is going to be I, the best. As a youth culture guy, I'm always on the uh, you know lookout for good articles, and I found this one of Adam's. And honestly, amazing article. It's called "Of Algorithms, Eating Disorders, and Social Media," and he's a researcher too. And he uh, read an article from the Wall Street Journal and. Adam just really uh, well oh, you know, we're puts out together of time. This... Oh, but, oh my gosh, that was thirty seconds. But, you know, I never here's even the got thing: to the you can't spend thirty seconds setting it up, bro. Uh, <laughs> you can find that article at uh, the blog at Plugged In. However, gosh, it felt like however, fifteen seconds. However, I know wow. it, it goes so fast. I'm gonna go next because that was my article too. Uh, although, oh, that's awesome! Uh, although, I, <laughs> although I was not gonna talk wait, about your my article own article. You're talking about your article. Article. Talk There was about... this great guy named me that wrote this fantastic <laughs> article. I really, it really, so it really even time. as I wrote it, it moved me deeply. So, Paul, why don't you count me in, and I'll give us 30 more seconds on on the story that Jonathan really set up nicely. Thank you, Jonathan. I did. I te- I teed you up. I teed you up. Go. All right, I'm ready. All right. Three, two, one, go. Well, it's about algorithms. And an algorithm is a fancy word for a formula that really determines what kind of content you find. And on TikTok, especially when, and but all of these things, when you look for something, you're going to get more of that kind of content. And so this story focused on how eating disorder videos, especially uh, young kids are, are getting, you know, watching them and being inundated with more of them. Ooh. Wow. Very nice. Find out more at pluggedin.com in the blog hey, section. Hey, Paul, can you talk about that article too? Yeah, Just I'd, so I'd like to it. talk about this great article written by... 30 seconds really does go fast. It that really does so go fast. fast. All right, Paul, you ready? I am ready. I am not going to be talking about that. Good, good. I think we okay. covered it. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Let's talk about awards chaos. These ceremonies have gone a little bit crazy. All right. <laughs> Golden Globes <laughs> had a very toned down conference. They didn't have any stars. They didn't have any media there. Uh, the Grammys have been delayed indefinitely. And now we understand that the Oscars are bringing back the host for the first time since 2018. Ooh, who's it going to be? Billy Crystal. Oh. No, I don't. Know. Oh, I wish. I was, was going to get really excited. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? All right. Thanks, Paul. Good job. Hey, you did it this week. I did it this week. You're normally week. like halfway through. That's it's it's one of the points of the of the podcast that I enjoy the most. You anyway, did. I digress. Listening to me cheat. I, I right? wish I could have some more, but Kristen, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So it's interesting that we already talked about TikTok. Um as my little segue, because they're predicting that TikTok is going to become the most important social network for marketing, which is really interesting because if you know any kids that use it or anybody that's trying to build themselves as an influencer, this is going to mean a lot. As Jonathan was saying, it's probably going to mean a lot about how your kids listen to certain music. You might not want them to, but it's definitely going to be possibly the platform they're saying that kind of launches marketing into the 2022 Wow. All right. Interesting. Well, I suspect as our year goes on, we will have more to say 
about TikTok, both at Plugged In and maybe even on the Plugged In show. We have covered it in the past, but it continues to evolve. And well, so if I think you write an we'll, article on it, I think that Jonathan will call it out. I mean, I have I have article. got the golden side right? From there's, the great Adam Holt. There's this guy. There's this guy. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And, you know, if you're interested in learning more about any of these articles, you can go to the episode notes for today's shows and we'll have links to all of them so that you can go a little bit deeper on that. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us at the Plugged In Show today. What did you think about our conversation about music, about Christian music, about secular music? What was your experience growing up? I would actually love to hear what your experience was because it's so personal and there's so many stories about how music influences us, maybe how our parents related to us, maybe moments where we realized you know what? I really need to make a change here. So we would love to hear from you and you can share your story on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at team at the plugged in show.com. And we would love to hear from you. In fact, we recently heard from John who had some comments and a question about the series, the chosen, which we talked about late last year. I believe our producer, Ashley has John's email, Ashley. Yeah. John says he enjoyed our episode about The Chosen Christmas Show. He and his wife are huge fans of the streaming program, finding it refreshing spiritually and emotionally. But their small group from church is having a debate about it. John writes, One member keeps sending all of us articles insinuating that this show is run by the LDS Church and that it is just the first step in the formation of a misguided universal church. This show that has brought so much life and warmth and joy to my heart is now the center of something that is causing it to break. So, Adam, he's looking for some advice on how to respond. Thanks, John, for your comments about The Chosen's impact on your life, as well as expressing some of the questions others in your small group have about the show's spiritual focus. I think some of the confusion about whether this is really a Christian show or not may have come from the fact that the series' main set is in Utah. That said, Chosen executive producer Daryl Eves addressed this very question last March, and he said really plainly, I think it's important that everyone knows that this is not an LDS project. This is 100% written and directed by an evangelical, my partner, Dallas Jenkins. So hopefully that answer can help clear up some of the questions and confusion your small group has had about The Chosen. Well, we would also like to say thank you today for being a Plugged In Show listener as well. And so today, for a gift of any amount, we'll send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today. We hope your 2022 is off to a great start, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. What is building up your teen girl's belief system? And that's the main thing, actually, that I've gotten from the Bria magazine since I've gotten them, is just how to stay strong in your faith and how to just Every day, rely on God for everything, even if you're having a wonderfully good day or just an absolute terrible one. Discover how Brio Magazine can capture the heart and faith of your teen girl at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Brio Radio.